Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined once again, and as always, by my co-host, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, happy Independence Day weekend, buddy. How are you doing? Good, Eric. Happy Fourth of July weekend. What's going on? Yeah, when we're recording this, it it is Fourth of July weekend. If you're listening in the future and going on in the world, that's that's when we're recording. So this will be released just before Independence Day. So in, with that in mind, I hope uh, all of you out there listening are having a wonderful Independence Day with your families. Stay safe. Keep all your fingers intact uh, if you're out there shooting off fireworks and the such. Uh, but we have a unique episode for you today. Um, we're diving into a comic story, which we like to do now and again. It's not something you know that most Batman, it, uniquely or comically, it's not something that most Batman podcasts do is actually talk about the comics. And that's, that's, you know, the Batman book club, notwithstanding, because that's it. That is what Ryan Lauer excels at, but that's what we're going to do today. Um, Joe, I know you love comics episodes. So what's your, are you excited about this one? Yes, I am. And, um, we'll get into it, but I was pretty, uh, I was hoping that my book would come by the time we recorded because I really wanted to read this version and we were lucky enough to make it happen. Yes, we were. Uh, we both received our new versions of this book and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I did want to let you guys know um, near the end of this episode, we are going to catch up on some interactions with listeners. Um, it's sort of uh, informal, the flash catch up. So we're going to talk a little bit about the flash. Um, not too much. We, we got a pretty good episode the last time covering our thoughts on the flash. We all loved it. Um, but we're going to touch on it just a little bit, as well as uh, a few other thoughts from listeners. But the main event of this episode is the new re- newly released, and we're, we're celebrating, kind of, it's not an anniversary per se, but we have a brand new absolute edition of Batman 3 Jokers. So that is what we are here to talk about, mostly because Joe and I, cannot help ourselves and we love these absolute hardcovers and if we're going to spend the money on it we might as well talk about it right joe oh absolutely i wouldn't even know if that's getting our money's worth but um (laughs) it's an excuse to read it right away i will say for me i made sure i had i made time to to really dive into this uh, absolute edition Yeah, absolutely. So just to give a little background on this book, before we dive into the story, uh, Joe, this had a long and strange path to hitting the store shelves. Um, If I'm correct, this concept was originally teased in, was it Dark Side War? Is that where it was? Yes, it was... um... Yes, because it was when Batman is sitting on the Mobius chair. Yeah, correct. You're right. And he asks the Mobius chair, you know, just to one to verify that it's omnipotent as it is. He asks who killed his parents. And of course, the chair tells him Joe Chill. And then he asks him who the Joker is. And we find out later that 
um, the Mobius chair informed him that there are three Jokers, which was a longstanding thread that we we were all excited to see kind of take form and see what that was that that was all going to lead to. And Joe, I think this is I'm just going to go ahead and say my biggest nitpick of this story right off the bat is it has absolutely nothing to do with any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if there were changes with what they wanted to do. This basically. Like, I don't even know if I want to say this is a standalone. It it more just acts as a a sequel to death in the family and the killing joke, which I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. It's just weird coming off of how they plugged it or how they promoted it. Yeah, uh, actually, not even. I shouldn't even say promoted it. How they teased it originally, because I don't think it was ever promoted from that. But I don't know. I don't think they ever made mention of you know this is associated with Dark Side War, you know, or the Mobius Chair, because I don't know. Just off the top of my head, reading this bat, reading this book, this Batman in this story doesn't strike me as someone who has sat on the Mobius Chair. Because everything that happened, you know, as we go along in the story and we find out, you know, because it's kind of a mystery that's unraveling between Batman, Batgirl and Red Hood. It's like we're and and the police force in Gotham because we're noticing there's these three, you know, there's these instances where the Joker is showing up at different places and it's not possible because it's at the same time. But there's no mention. It's like this Batman has no idea that, you know there were three jokers. He's finding this out at the same time as we are. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I know the concept was born out of dark side war, but I think it evolved into something completely different. And like you said, I I see it very much as, and it works really well as a pseudo sequel to the killing joke and death in the family. Well, and, and also just to piggyback on what you were just saying, um, the last page of the book completely contradicts Dark Side War because he asks who the Joker is on the Mobius mm-hmm. chair. Which why would yeah. he have done that if the last page of this book is? I, I hate using that word, but canon because <laughs> I I don't even know where this would fall in canon. But to me, it, I still say it all the time: well, canon is whatever you want it to be. It is, yeah. But I mean, this is a black label book. So technically it is not canon in any way. I have never heard that verified one way or the other, because I'm pretty sure in the beginning, like there were black label books that could have been canon. I mean, yes, but black label book in the beginning was also supposed to be free reign. Yeah. There's a lot of, (laughs) everything is a little muddy. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, But let's get into this story, Joe. So uh, this story, you know, it, first of all, I love the way it starts because it's, it's a classic start to, to a Batman story. I feel because, you know, Batman is coming home from a night of fighting crime and he's a little worse for wear. And I love, you know, as we see the Batcave and you see all these little homages to the past we see all these flashbacks while Alfred is stitching Bruce up and you see all these scars that he has and they show all these different, 
you know, encounters, like each scar has a story and each scar is from one of Batman's rogues gallery. And aside from just not really having anything to do with the rest of the story, I love seeing these flashbacks of, of, you know, classic versions of the characters of the villains and kind of showing what this Batman has been through. I just, I just think it's an awesome visual guide through this Batman's history. Yeah. And I don't even care if this literally was just an excuse to get Jason Fabok's version of these classic stories. It works. I think it's gorgeous. Um, to get right into it, the art in this book is amazing. The art to oh, yeah. me is what makes this book. Um, the story is great. I do love the story, but this art to me easily, and I hate to, to even go there because you know how much I love Greg Capullo. To me, this is the best Batman has looked in a long time. Um, I don't know. I I could I would have a hard time saying any book looked this good in any of my collection. And that I mean it's different than Capullo, it's different than Jim Lee, but there's just something about the detail and the the style of this book that to me is just perfect. Well, I was going to say to your point there, I mean I think the last the last book before this that I was struck by how good the art was. And yes, Capullo, I absolutely love Capullo. Um, and I'm, you know, it's one of my favorite Batman artists, but the last time I remember seeing a book like this, that the art just really blew me away was hush. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a testament to Jason Fabic style because he feels like, and I don't mean to diminish Jason Fabic at all, but it's just, it shows you the level that Jim Lee is on. Fabic feels like the new Jim Lee. Mm -hmm. like his his Batman and you know he really to my knowledge he hasn't done Batman since this book and this book came out started coming out in what 2020 oh geez I don't even remember um 2020 or 2021 because that's one thing I will say with this book it was delayed and delayed and delayed but they made sure they had all three books ready to go when they started mm -hmm. releasing the first one um yeah I will say, I mean, not to, I mean, this is, I mean, really what other place, what other better place to, to do a, a Jason Fabok love fest, but I will say I dark side war, as we brought up earlier, I had no idea who Jason Fabok was when we read, when I read that story mm -hmm. that did for me, put him on the map and made me recognize his name and want to read more of him because, um, that book is gorgeous. Um, and to see him draw the Justice League and in a in a monthly title like that, that was a pretty big event. Um, underrated story. It doesn't get talked about a lot. I actually really enjoy that story. Um, definitely very different than this because it's very, you know, godly and mythical and, and pretty uh, insane, uh, pretty insane. But when I found out from there that he was doing this book, I could not have been more excited because I love that book. There are some really like beautiful splash pages in that book. And, and to do that on a monthly is even uh, crazier where this, you could see that he goes to the next level on this one because they did take their time with this and really just, they didn't rush anything with this. Well, and, and one thing I'll say is it feels very old school. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's the nine panel grid, the, the very classical comics layout. Um, and then, you know, because we, we were talking about how closely associated it is with um, the killing joke. I mean, there are, there are panels in this book where if you told me that Brian Ballen drew it, mm-hmm. I would, I would believe you because that's how well um, Fabic kind of mirrored uh, Bolin style mm-hmm. for, for, and, and not throughout the book because there's definitely, it's, it's Jason Fabic art, but when he wants to homage Boland, it's, it's pretty freaking spot on. I would say. Yeah. I, and I, I got to give credit. Um, I want to see, cause it, I'm sorry to say, I don't even know who did the colors on this. Um, uh, Brad, Brad Anderson. Brad Anderson and Rob Lee did the lettering. Um, I I think the coloring in this book is beautiful too. Um, we don't give enough credit to inkers and and uh, and colorists and and I mean this was really just an all star team. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I'm not familiar with Brad Anderson, but um, if he's working on this book, he has to be included in that in that group because. Mm-hmm. He, he sure. deserves credit too. And one now thing, the nine. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I just had a question for you. The nine panel grid was that because I haven't read Killing Joke in a long time. Is that very prevalent in the Killing Joke, or is that more of Alan Moore's style from Watchmen? I'm fairly certain that is the layout of the Killing Joke. Okay. Um, I could. I be definitely. Wrong. I definitely remember it from Watchmen, but Alan Moore did both, so uh, I'm sure it it's his style in general. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I think so too. Um, but we won't focus the whole time on the art, but I mean, it's such a big part of this book. I would say, you know, Jeff Johns wrote a really good story here, but I think it's a really good story. That's even more accentuated by even better art. Um, I think the art outstrips the story by a little bit, but that's, that's just to tell you how good it is. Cause I really do think this is a, this is a very, very good story. Um, and man, this thing, we kind of dove into the story before we talked about it, but this thing was an event when it came out. I mean, there was so many different covers. Um, there was the, the play. Do you remember the playing cards? Like each issue had its own unique playing card that, ca- I card have that them came displayed. with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I have them. I saved them. I put them in little uh, trading card cases, like little um, plastic covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're great. Everything about this, everything surrounding this book when it was coming out was just a lot of fun. It felt like it was the first real event for me since when I first started getting back into comics with the New 52 and I was reading the Snyder Capullo run, where that was like, mm-hmm. I needed to go get that book the day it came out and I got all the variants. With this... I couldn't get all the variants, but I tried <laughs> and it was a pricey book to get a couple of variants, but the, yeah, oh, cause it so was many covers. Each issue was a, was I think 48 page square bound premium edition. They, I mean, they're really nice books and yeah, there was a ton of variants, which most of the variants are present in this absolute edition. And they even tell you a little bit about the, the variants. So that's, that's really cool. Um, but to kind of get back into the story here, so I, I told you that Bruce is getting home. He's all messed up from from being out fighting crime, and we kind of go through a backstory where we see the past of of 
you know, him with the Joker. We see the past of the killing joke with Barbara and the Joker. We see the past of Red Hood with the Joker, with death in the family. So it's kind of setting up that this story is between the three of them. It's a shared kind of trauma between Batman, Batgirl, and Red Hood. And this is one thing I do want to bring up early, because one of the biggest complaints about this story that I've seen is that Batgirl and Red Hood are quote unquote underdeveloped in the story. And I don't know that I agree with that. Yeah. That's, that's one of the major complaints of this story is that they are underdeveloped and underserved. They're really, I've never seen that before. Mm -hmm. And I completely disagree. Uh, You kind of caught me off guard by saying that because to me, they're the focal point of the story. Yeah, I mean, and it even says it because I just I was just looking through the uh, the Wikipedia page, which I know take Wikipedia with a grain of salt, but it says the storyline received positive positive reviews with praise for the art, story, and character development, despite criticism on the underdevelopment on Red Hood and Batgirl story, which I completely disagree with. <laughs> I mean, do they maybe think it's because you you kind of have to have some knowledge going in? But I think they do a pretty good job of going back to all that trauma numerous times in the book. I do too. Yeah. And and the whole, I mean, maybe it's because at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the story, Joker really doesn't care about either one of them, but we all know that we know his obsession with Batman. Oh yeah. That's always been the case. It's not that that's not new ground that they've broken here. Um, I thought you were going to say the biggest criticism was their, like the, the emotional relationship they have and where it goes and how it ends up. And cause I I've seen that criticism, which mm. I also disagree with, but that's one that I can at least understand if people aren't crazy about it. Like I, I can disagree and still at least understand where people are coming from because it might be something they're not comfortable with seeing because it's just not what they enjoy or what they like. But as far as their characters being underdeveloped, I completely disagree with that. I do as well. Um, but yeah, as we go through the story, you know, we find out that the, that there's crimes being committed that kind of mirror some classic, um, Joker crimes that Batman has investigated and been a part of. And we, again, we learn that there's all these things that are, that are happening at the same time. So there's no possible way. And there's been eyewitnesses that the Joker has been at each one of these scenes. So we slowly start to determine that there that there are in fact three jokers and I believe it's at the end of the first issue that we actually get a get a confirmation of that because one of the jokers that has been at this most recent crime scene he arrives at this cabin in the woods which looks a lot like the cabin from Evil Dead I'm just going to say that <laughs> um but when he arrives there's two other jokers inside and they're all they all kind of have a distinction to them. They're all slightly different. Um, so that's where I kind of wanted to, to talk about the different variations of the Joker. Um, is there anything that stood out to you upon, you know, getting to the end of the first issue about these different versions of the Joker? Um, as far as the first issue, as far as like the look of them goes, because that's really all yeah. you get for the most part. Um, I mean, clearly they, they make it very 
clear that the one with the hat is the one from the killing joke, which I think is the obvious distinction there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm trying to remember now I'm going to go back to that issue. Does he have the hat on when we're first introduced to the two of them? The he does. He, he has the hat and he has, I remember the, him uh, putting it on in one of the images, but yeah, he, ha- he has the Hawaiian shirt and the hat on. Okay. Yeah. And then, so I think the biggest thing that stood out to me in this, and you can tell me if I'm just crazy, um, but I knew like there was this main Joker that was sitting at the table. He's very much more of a stoic Joker, I would say. Mm-hmm. And he's got these, you know, he's got these wrinkles around his mouth. So he's, it, you know, it feels like he's already meant to look older, be a little bit of an older Joker. And something about the way he looks gives me Jack Nicholson Joker vibes. And I don't know if it's, it, it's the hooked eyebrows. It's the, it's the, yeah, I, on the lips. I don't know. Just, I, I, I didn't see that. Just something about him gives me that vibe, but you know, maybe it's just me. And the other one has the design from ironically enough, the Joker figure from the, um, uh, what action figure line was that? But it was the one that like the face paint um, came off. If you put him underwater, and <laughs> did, you, did you have that figure when you were a kid? Oh gosh, I don't think I did. That's not ringing any bells for me. But that design with the purple suit and the green shirt underneath and the tie, like that reminds me of that um, mm-hmm. that action figure, which is funny. So that's from like we were talking about it earlier. So like you got the original one, and then that one's probably the uh, the one from like the sixties and the seventies. Um, yeah. So that might have been like a superpowers figure. I, I honestly maybe. Don't remember. But yeah, we, we come to find out there, you know, that their, their ultimate plan, cause they lay it out right from the beginning. So it's not a waiting game to kind of see what the Joker's after while they're in this cabin. They talk about, you know, their plan is to make a better Joker. So it's, it becomes clear that they are attempting to make a new Joker. So I don't know if you can remember back to when you first read it or maybe your thoughts here when you were reading it this time, but what, what do you think of that? Their, their whole end game is to make a better version of the Joker. It's sad. Cause I don't know if it's just my memory is shot now, or I don't remember much about reading this for the first time, or I did just kind of skim through this the first time I read it because I just wanted to get to the point. And mm-hmm. like, I, I was enjoying the art, but I wasn't digesting the story as much as I should have. Cause I, I don't remember a lot of the plot <laughs> of this story from the first time I read it. Cause I was, I felt like I was reading a lot of it for the first time these last couple of days, uh, rereading this. Um, but it's such a cool theory. And when you see where their, their mission takes them, um, you know, right off the bat going after, uh, red hood makes sense from the, the concept of that story. It's pretty creepy that they're like, okay, now and then it's like okay did they want to make a fourth joker to best the three of them or like do they always have a new one and then they step aside do they kill off past jokers it makes you really think like what the the thought process thought process was there and what the theory is of how this has been going on Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i had no idea you know where they could have been going with there. And I don't remember my initial reaction to this, um, but just knowing that they want to create a better version of the Joker is an intriguing concept. 
Like I, I'm curious too, because there's, there's still a lot of mystery behind the Joker. Like you never find out who these guys really are, which is the whole point behind Joker. I know. Um, but when you know there's three of them, it makes it, it puts it even into a, a whole new spin. Um, but yeah, I love the, like the whole, the whole back half of this book, the whole aquarium, because we know that, you know, they're, they're going after red hood and, uh, red hood is at the aquarium. That's where Batman and Batgirl are on their way to as well. And they end up having that when they get there and they're investigating this aquarium, they find out, you know, classic Joker, he's dumped these toxins into the aquarium. And we have a lot, a lot of Joker fish now, including probably the biggest Joker fish ever, a massive great white shark that has been turned into a Joker fish, which from a visual standpoint, that is really cool for me. I mean, that thing was scary looking and the way it's used in the story. Cause there's this, you know, this old school sidekick for Joker called gaggy that <laughs> this shark is just sicked on basically. Like, and he's gotta be from the comics. I forgot to look it up, but knowing Jeff Johns, he has to be a pull from the old days in the comics. I believe he is, but I, I would be completely, you know, shooting in the dark to try to tell you where, Mm-hmm. Um, but I know he gets a pretty vicious death in this book <laughs> um, because the Joker great white like bu- is is busted through this aquarium and Gaggy's right in the way of that big mouth. So, um, well, you could argue it's Jason's first kill because Jason's the one that shoots the tank. And oh, that's, that's true. what allows yeah. the shark to come through and, and kill Gaggy. You could argue he may have done it intentionally if you really want to go down that route because... The way that it's framed, you could make an argument for that. Yeah, I I, I could see that for sure. Um, and, and even more so when you figure out what he does here at the end, because we have one of the Jokers at the aquarium that ends up getting captured by Batman and Batgirl and, and Red Hood. And, you know, he's left there with Batgirl and Red Hood and Red Hood ends up shooting him. I mean, that's the end of the first book is much to Batgirl's argument. Red Hood shoots him in the head. And I mean, you see that, I mean, there's a, there's a pretty graphic panel of like his brains flying out of one side of his head. And yeah, so we have two jokers at the end of the first issue, which I will say I thought was a pretty bold way to go out on the first issue Although then again, you know, I'm thinking, okay, is this a, is this Joker even really a Joker? So I don't know. It's just a, the the way they ended it there. What do you think of the big finale of the first issue? Is is Jason murdering one of the Jokers? Well, even if it's not one of the Jokers, it's still an awesome way to end because either way you look at it, Jason just killed somebody in front of Barbara. So. Mm-hmm it gets the point across no matter what. And I think that's, what's so cool about it is you still have a mystery. You still don't know what's going on with the three jokers, but you still have that great moment at the end with him shooting this person in the head. And I love how he calls out Barbara because Barbara's like, what did you do? And he, she tried to stop him and missed. And he basically calls her out. Like, well, when was the last time you missed? Like, did you really mean to miss? Um, and you can interpret that many different ways. So I, I love the ending of this book. I think this is 
when you have an event book like this and you're only getting three issues, which I, I love that this was just three issues. I, I think because it got to the point it it ends on such a an exclamation point <laughs> to get you hooked for the next book, which we were all going to read anyway. But I think it mm-hmm. delivered so well with everything that happened in this first issue. Yeah, I, I mean, I do too. And to your point, I mean, Barbara quote unquote tried to stop him she threw a battering at him but then at the end of the day you know jason kind of calls her out and says were you really trying to stop me when's the last time you missed you know so it's it's kind of an indicator you know we know how tortured all of these people are by joker so was there a part of barbara that wanted him dead i'm sure you know um but yeah, um, moving on, you know, we get into the second book and the second book is a lot of setup of, of what's going on with these jokers because we see, we see even more crimes. And by the way, um, I'm sure you caught it, but the two thugs from Batman 89 are in this issue. Okay. Maybe I didn't catch it. Yeah. So it's, um, several pages in, it's where they're showing all these crimes that have been committed. And there's this uh, one of the jokes oh, one of those thugs is, from yeah. the beginning. Yes, yes, yes. From the mm-hmm. beginning of Batman 89 in the alleyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was so, that in the Easter egg section? I think it is. I'm pretty sure okay. it is. So you cheated. You saw it on there. Well, I mean, <laughs> I recognized them as I was reading the book, Joe. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, we come to and I'm trying to remember, maybe you can remember a little more than I can how we ended up going to go see Joe chill because we know that Batman is on the way. It was fingerprints. Um, there were fingerprints on the trophy that bludgeoned one of the, the the judge. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we know that the, um, Joker has been targeting all these hope high profile, uh, people in Gotham and people who aren't even high profile and all these crime scenes lead up to this judge and there's fingerprints at the scene, which Joe just explained where it's Joe chill. So Batman goes to Blackgate to visit Joe chill. And we find out, I mean, we get of course, heartbreaking crime alley flashbacks um, to little Bruce witnessing the death of the Waynes. And we find out that Joe chill is now in Blackgate hospital because he is dying of cancer, which I think is a, I mean, going the sympathetic route for Joe chill. What do you think of that? That's a unique perspective. It's one of those things where at first read, it may have felt cheap. Um, I don't remember how I felt, but I don't remember like caring either way. Reading it all the way through this time and knowing where the story was going did a lot for me. Um, Because, and it's hard to talk about this without going right to the end, but it's Batman's ultimate victory. Well, I, I mean, actually, it's Joker's. Um, now I'm trying to think. It, it kind of like, by Batman forgiving Joe Chill, it makes Joker his greatest villain, which is pretty crazy. Um, but I also think from a Batman's perspective, you got to take that as a win for Batman also, right? Like it's, it's pretty, again, I, I keep saying 
the book has more layers than I gave it credit for the first time I read it. And I still liked the book the first time I read it, but I found a lot more. Um, I just got a lot more out of it the second time, seeing where they go with the story and how each thing plays into what they did at the end. It makes a lot of sense and it goes places that may have seemed obvious in a trivial sense. But when you mm-hmm. really get down to the, when you try to look deeper into it, it's not as simple as it may seem if you're just kind of glossing over this book. Yeah. And, and, and I would and say I admit, even... I'm guilty of that. So I understand why some people probably didn't take to this book the first time they read it. Well, yeah. And that's sort of kind of what we have to do when talking, because I mean, we can't go, you know, beat by beat for the story. So that's sort of ha- what we have to do when we're covering, but covering it, but there's a lot of depth in here. I mean, you were, you were talking about it just now, but I mean, even like the next, so the big plot point of this issue is, you know, they've, the jokers have captured Jason. They've got him at this in indoor pool and they're basically torturing him to turn him into the next Joker. And as, you know, as straightforward as that seems, I mean, looking at it from, from that angle, who makes more sense than Red Hood to, for them to target, to turn into another Joker? It makes a ton of sense. I mean, and, and there's that, that moment in the book where basically, you know, one of the Jokers tells um, tells Red Hood, you know, you took up my mantle, basically. You're my Robin, yeah. you know, and that's, I had never, ever thought about it from that perspective, but it's absolutely true. I mean, he kills people, you know, he carries the Red Hood moniker. He's pretty distanced from Batman at this point. I mean, it does make a lot of sense in a twisted way. Without a doubt. I mean, he's he's always been Batman's greatest failure. So the fact that he's mm-hmm. now even the Red Hood as a, a Joker, um, if you want to say a moniker or, you know, just an alter ego of the Joker, that is almost insult to injury to Batman that he's doing that. And we always looked at it from the perspective of he's doing it to mock the Joker, <laughs> but it would mm-hmm. make sense that the Joker loves that. Like he would, he would find the positive on that because that's what Mm -hmm. the Joker would do. It's, it's pretty crazy when you think of like this whole plot line, everything going on with Jason and the Joker and the Joker, Jason has already killed one Joker and now he has to face down another one. And he's being told that he's done everything that the Joker has wanted him to do basically. And I know it gets a lot of flack. Um, it does kind of remind me, and they're, that's not what they're doing here, but a lot of people hated the New 52 origin of Jason. Do you remember mm-hmm. the New 52 origin of Jason? Vaguely. Where basically he was like, the Joker set him up to be Robin so he could kill him and torture Batman. Ah, uh, yeah. And I know, I know a lot of people don't like it. It's, it's a little out there, but it reminded me of that because this is kind of the Joker saying like, I don't know, to me, it kind of fed into that a little bit 
but it, it's not what they're doing. But it, it kind of reminded me of that where the Joker does use these, use Jason and Barbara to get to Bruce. That's all. And we talked about that. You you mentioned that earlier in the episode where it's, they're just his pawns. That's it. He only tortures them to torture Bruce. It's It would be easy to kill Bruce, but it's more fun to torture him through torturing his family. Well, and they're, and these people are brought together by their shared, you know, shared trauma, as I said earlier. And that even leads to one of the most controversial parts of the book. Um, because after, you know, after Jason is rescued from the Joker in this book, he's taken back to Barbara's apartment. And that leads to the kiss between Barbara and Jason, which I know a ton of people hate. Um, but, you know, I, I never took it as more than I know Jason has stronger feelings. But for Barbara's side, I never took it more than two people with shared trauma having a moment and getting caught up in that moment. And I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know it's a, it's like I said, it's a highly controversial part of the book. I did not have a problem with it. I think when it first happens, it's shocking. But it's immediately handled the way it should have been handled, in my opinion. And it's it's spelled out exactly like you just said you took it. Like, I don't even think there's a way to misinterpret this. She literally says we shouldn't have done that. I just wanted you to know I care. Mm-hmm. That's what it was, is she was so emotional at that moment of feeling terrible for what Jason is going through. And... It was a moment that she just felt like they were sharing and she wanted to kiss him. And that was it. It wasn't like this long drawn out thing. And I mean, he could have very easily had them sleep together. And then she says that was a mistake. It was like literally two seconds. She kisses him and says, I'm sorry, because she, she realizes that even though she was doing it to make him feel better, it probably is now going to be interpreted the wrong way. And she knows how fragile Jason is, but she just wanted him to be okay. She wanted him to know she cared. Like she flat out says it. And I think it shows the difference in characterizations between these two and how they handle their trauma. That's what makes these characters who they are in this moment. Barbara is someone that has come out of this strong and wanting to help people. Jason Mm -hmm. is the one that needs the help. And it's go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no. I I was just going to say, I I completely agree with what you're saying there. Um, It is. I think Jason is the more tortured. Like Barbara has been able to be a little more productive. You know, she's been able to, I don't know, use a little more strength to recover than Jason has. Um, I think Jason's still very much haunted over what happened to him. And he's not, he's not able to move past it the way Barbara has. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and the way that this issue kind of wraps up here is interesting to me. Cause I still don't quite, you know, cause we do end up, we find out that, um, the jokers have kidnapped Joe chill. But before we get there, right before that, we see that Batman is in the Batcave and he's investigating case files and he has separate Joker case files listed missing clowns, missing criminals. And 
he's he's reading and, and viewing these case files on his computer and it's showing the different versions of the Joker. Um, so I know, and this is jumping ahead, but I know in the final issue, like we find out that Batman has always known who at least one of these Jokers is, but it's interesting. Is, is this telling us that he's always had an idea that there's been multiple? I'm wondering, I took it as like, he's going over the possible, and this might have been what you meant. Is he going over the possible aliases of the Joker? Like, these are the clowns that basically could be the Joker. I don't know. Did you also notice that the globe points to Alaska? Because I did not catch that until just this minute. Well, I mean, I did now, but I mean, I know what that's referring to in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I think. And it's while he's, he's looking at the comedian, you know, cause it says to oh. the comedian and then it shows the globe. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause so. the comedian's the seven, 60, 70s one, correct? No, that's the clown. The comedian is the one from the killing joke. Okay. So the comedian is the modern one. Yeah. Okay. I keep getting them mixed up. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, we can just move on to the third book because that's how it opens. It shows you, you know, there's that, there's the three panels and it shows you, you know, the older one is the criminal, the dead one is the clown. And then the modern Joker quote unquote, modern Joker is the comedian. Um, which I think is fascinating, you know, cause it, cause that's what we're doing here at the beginning of the final issue is, is we're, with Batman, Batgirl and um, Red Hood and they're kind of going over the differences in these jokers and we were you and I were talking about it before we started there's this really important page page 6 in the final book where it pretty much point blank lays out who these jokers are you know what versions they are which I think is pretty cool I know you wanted to you wanted to bring this this page up yeah and it's one of those things where you could take it literally, which I think works, or is it almost giving the reader, Hey, a wink, wink. <laughs> These are what we're going for. You know, um, mm -hmm. I, I think it could go either way. I, I think they're kind of, and I, I think I've said this before. They're not, I don't mean this in a negative way. They're kind of having their cake and eating it too. Like again, John's does a really great job and I, it's weird because people have criticized them for this where he like takes old stories and kind of weaves them into continuity. People have said it's like his way of not being original. I, I disagree. I think he's a genius when it comes to that kind of stuff. He finds ways to make everything canon. And I think this is kind of his way of justifying the different personifications of the Joker over the years. And you can kind of take it as a literal thing or as this kind of nod to it where, is the Joker the same guy and he's just reinventing himself or have there really been multiple Jokers where one kind of takes over and does its thing? I, I find it fascinating that you can kind of do whatever you want with it because before this, what you were kind of making it up in your head anyway. <laughs> so in this case, it's a really interesting story that 
gives you the three Jokers dynamic, but makes it a really personal story on the influence the Joker has had on the Bat family, as opposed to just focusing on who the three Jokers are. Yeah, and it even goes so down so far as to show you how much of an impact that Joker has on them because like they're Batman and Batgirl are both upset about what Jason did at the end of the first issue, but they lay it out that they can't turn Jason in, mm-hmm. you know, cause Batgirl wants to, but it's Batman that explains to her. And then red hood even reiterates it later. You know, you would have to give yourself up to turn I- me in. I love that he throws that back in her face. He told you that, didn't he? Like that's what he knew exactly what Bruce was going to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, just even more showing, you know, even unintentionally what the Joker does and the divides he causes. Um, But yeah, I mean the ultimate, you know, the end game of this book is that we know that um, I think it's fascinating that we find out that Joe chill has been kind of repentant over what he's done for years. And he's been writing Bruce letters, um, but he's never, he's never sent them, you know, and there's, there's even an explanation that, you know, he's, he has a learning disability and he hasn't, you know, he wasn't to the level yet where he was ready to, where he thought, I guess the letters were good enough, Mm -hmm. but there's all these letters that they find. And you, you kind of see Batman start to, feel a little sympathy for Joe chill. Mm-hmm. And we know that Joe chill has been kidnapped by the Joker. He's being held. They, they find an envelope with a Monarch theater ticket in it. So of course, part of the big finale here is at the Monarch theater. And did you notice Joe that the Monarch theater is, is the one from Batman 89? Oh, you know, it didn't even occur to me, but yeah, obviously. Um, yeah. For some reason it was like, that it like almost worked its way into canon in my brain. Like I just thought, Oh yeah, the Monarch theater, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah, you're right. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. So we get this big, big, like I said, finale in the movie theater um, where Batman saves, he has to save Joe chill and he, you know, he forgives Joe chill. He tells him he forgives him, um, which the, the criminal is trying to turn Joe chill into the new Joker. And he says, you know, they're planning on dipping him in the acid bath. And he says, you know, that it, basically he'll be trading in physical body because he has cancer. So he'll, he'll get his physical body back, but he'll lose his mind and become the new Joker. Uh, but of course, Batman stops him. And the most fascinating thing to me here is that the, um, the comedian, the more modern Joker ends up killing the criminal, the older Joker and come to find out like this Joker, he did not want to be part of this plan at all. He just kind of went along with it to appease these other two Jokers. But at the end of the day, he wanted to be the one and only Joker, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, of course there's that Joker that doesn't want anything to do with being part of a group. He wants to be the one and only he wants to be the nemesis to Batman. If that makes sense. Oh, definitely. And you could, again, looking at it from another perspective, was he always the original Joker? Was he always the main Joker? And he was bringing these guys along for the ride just to see what would happen. And then they weren't good enough. Um, I like that there's a lot of different ways you can look at this book. And I, I could be wrong, but I, I think 
he's either like you said, the one that just didn't want anything to do with the other two, or to me, he could be, and I, I think I like that way better, but I think he could also be just, he's the only Joker. The other two were just ones that he kind of created to see what would happen. And they didn't pan out. Well, there's even that fascinating exchange in the ambulance when they've captured him at the end. Batman is riding with Joker, or not the ambulance, the the police van where they're taking him to to Arkham, I assume. Um, There's that fascinating exchange where Joker says, you know, he's talking about the criminal, the older Joker. And he says, when he created me. Mm-hmm. And then there's that pause and he says, or did I create, did I create him? him? Yep. It's perfect. So it's going, it's going right back to that Joker, you know, multiple choice, um, mm-hmm. un, unreliable narrator thing. Yep. So at the end of the book, I mean, we know no more about the Joker than we started and we still don't know why there was three Jokers or how that began. But I, I mean, ultimately is that kind of a big, is that kind of a big tease? Yes. But I think also the journey of this story is pretty fascinating as well. Well, I think unfortunately a lot of people saw it as a cop out where we didn't get a definitive answer. But I think the whole point of the Joker is we shouldn't get a definitive answer. Like, like if we got a definitive answer, I feel like that kind of would never work. And and, and you could also say this is my, I mean, the killing joke is the most definitive answer we've ever gotten from the Joker's origin, other than like way back in the day where we have that backstory of his wife and all that. And we're kind of playing into that here too. So if you want to take it as that is the cut and dry Joker with the backstory of the wife and the child and all that, I mean, they go as far as, uh, I don't know if you saw this in the Easter eggs, the initials on the briefcase match the initials from the killing joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, I think they're kind of giving you an out. Whatever story you like best, you're getting that multiple choice version. Well, and my thing is with it here, I mean, there is a pretty clear cut and definitive answer for this version of Batman. Like if for this particular version of Batman, the killing joke Joker, that is his Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's even we get a resolution to it at the end. You were just kind of touching on it. But he tells Alfred he's always known who this Joker is. He knows his name. And we we even see that um, Bruce has, you know, he had the the death of his wife and the killing joke faked. Mm-hmm. It was a fake death and he moved them to Alaska to make sure that Joker never found them to protect them. And so, you know, and the, I love the very last page where he says, you know, but the Joker's name isn't what's important and it never has been, which is kind of, I think that's a dual statement there for the story. It doesn't matter what his name is. And for Joker overall, it's better if you don't know who he is. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the whole point, um, which I really like. And I love that, you know, the end of the story, we get a confirmation that you can very much read the killing joke and then you can read it, read this right behind it. And it's a good one, two punch. And if you want to throw death in the family in the middle there, that's a good, you know, you have a really good fun trilogy. Mm-hmm. I say fun. There's a lot of death and, and tragedy <laughs> in this fun tri- as far as Batman and Joker go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one thing I did want to mention before we do move on, um, you before right before the end there, you get the letter that Jason, you know, he obviously has feelings for 
Barbara and he tapes this letter to her door and he basically says in it, if you don't think I'm worth one chance, if it was all caught up in, you know, if it was all just caught up in everything, then throw this letter away. And we see that the letter ends up falling off the door and it's been, it's been swept up by this janitor. So she's never going to get this letter which I think is a, is another one of those, you know, have your cake and eat it too, because obviously Jason wants more of a relationship with Barbara, but she, she's never going to know it past this point. I have another question for you. Okay. Did you notice the color of the outfit the janitor's wearing? Well, not to mention it says fun time cleaners on the back. So I didn't even notice that. So do you think, (laughs) That that is another layer to the Joker just messing with the two of them. I think it's, I think that Jeff Johns and Jason Fabic absolutely meant you to question that. Like it's, yeah, like they're meant to just play with your mind a little bit there, make you think about it a little bit more because there's no way that's not intentional, especially now that you said that about the back of the shirt. Um, and I think it's fun to just have stuff like that. Yeah, I do too. It's like a, there is one dangling thread that we're probably never going to get any resolution to. No. And I, they have talked about a sequel to this, haven't they? Oh, if they have, I, I don't know the last time it's been discussed. Oh yeah. It's um, been a while, but I yeah. personally, like I love this as a one-off. I, I think it's, it's, I don't want to say perfect, but I, to me, it's one of the most impactful Batman stories we've gotten uh, in the last, you know, 20 years. Well, and I did want to ask you about that, Joe, because I know we were, we were kind of discussing it in a group chat um, the other day. And I was saying how much I, I, cause I really do. I love this story. And I know you were kind of, you were downplaying it a little bit. Cause you had said, well, you know, it's not as good as everybody says it is, but it's good. And it's, it feels like you got a little more out of this read and I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I kind of do want to get your thoughts after you've reread this. Um, is it still sit there? Do you still not think it's as good as people make it out to be or, or what's your feelings on it now? No, I think uh, you're calling me out on my BS because you're 100% right. I, I admit when I first read this, I thought the story was fine and mm. I liked the trauma that they were dealing with, with Jason and Barbara. That was my favorite part of the story. Um, I thought it was good, but I think whenever we read monthlies, I have a hard time of just kind of like reading an issue, waiting a month, reading an issue, waiting a month. And sometimes it does kind of take it away from me. And I might not have had time for whatever reason. I never reread it. Um, I think I was always waiting to read it in the collected edition. And then when I found out, and this is, totally uh, ridiculous but when i found out that the collected hardcover wasn't going to include any of the alternate covers i refused to buy the collected edition <laughs> and i knew that something else was coming oh i did as well i i waited yeah. for for so i either thought there was going to be a deluxe edition or this and i'm glad exactly. got this and jason Fabok actually tweeted that saying or on Instagram or something shared that like a, a deluxe version is coming with, um, with the variants. So that mm-hmm. was enough for me to say, okay, I'm not doing it. And I, I wasn't expecting an absolute this soon, but I'm so glad we got this. And, um, I definitely got way more out of this, um, this time I do, but I do, I can't, I can't talk out of both sides of my mouth here because 
I understand where the people that are coming from that read this as a monthly and kind of just read it for what it was, expected something different and kind of went, oh, that was cool. I don't blame them because I, I can see why this book can be read that way. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying they're, um, I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm not saying they didn't care. I'm not saying any of that because I was that guy. Like I, I just took it for what it was and I moved on and I love the Mm -hmm. art and this and that. But I think there are so many seeds planted in the early parts of this, of this book that lead towards the end of the book. And I think it is a very well thought out story and a very good representation of Batman's relationship with the Joker and what the Joker has done to Barbara and Jason. And I think it's, I do think it's a really great story. Do I think it's one of the best stories ever told by, you know, in a Batman book? I don't know about that, but I think when something this recent comes out, I'm more hesitant to say something like that, where some people go the other way, where they're like, this is the best thing ever. And sometimes I'm kind of like, ah, just simmer down a little bit. Like it's too new to say that. Um, but I, I don't know. Like it's, it's hard for me because it is so recent. I mean, I've only read this twice now. It, it came out two, three years ago. It's hard for me to put it in my top 10 of all time, but I think it's closer than I ever expected. That's for sure. Nice. Well, that kind of feels like that kind of feels like a good final thoughts area. So while you're there, Joe, is there anything else you wanted to say about this book before we wrap it up here? Um, I'd say if you haven't read it in a while, try to read it and really take your time with the book. I think sometimes I definitely read through these books too quickly. Um, really pay attention to the panels. I think getting the absolutes, makes me enjoy the books more because I spent the money on these deluxe versions and I'm getting it for the big panels and the big art. So I try to dissect it and try to really take it in. Um, The absolute has this great section in the back with all Easter eggs of every like panel that is a homage to something else. Really fun stuff in here. Um, I am so happy. I waited for this. Um, Yeah. I, I think just, yeah, if, if you were kind of iffy on the book, give it a second chance and really in worst case scenario, you're reading a great Batman story with some awesome art. (laughs) So it's a win-win to me. Awesome. Yeah. I mirror a lot of what you just said. I absolutely love this absolute edition. This, this episode feels like an advertisement for this edition. It's not, we're just excited. We have this. Um, But if you're looking for a great way to read this book, I would highly recommend this version because there's so much in it. I mean, the supplemental material in the back of it is, is amazing. It's fantastic. Very much worth um, picking up and don't ever pay full price for these. There's, there's places out there you can get them. If you're looking for somewhere, they're not sponsoring us, so I'm not going to give them ad space, but just reach out. We'll let you know where to find them. Um, But yeah, this, this story, I was really, cause what I'll usually do for big books like this. And I think this may have helped me along kind of what you were talking about with that monthly fatigue as they were coming out. Like I read the first issue when it came out. And then when the second issue came out, I read issues one and two. And then when the third one came out, I read issues one, two, and three. So I read them as a whole. And Um, that's what I should do. (laughs) And I think that. Oh, go ahead. It's what you should do. You know what held me back from doing that, which is so stupid. 
I bought so many versions of the print copy. I didn't want to spend extra to buy it digitally. And I never took the floppies out once I bagged board them. <laughs> mm, I get that. But, but yeah, I mean, I think reading, reading it that way really gave me an appreciation of it as it was coming out. And I have, I have really loved this story since it came out. Um, but I love it in a vacuum. I love it where it's at. It's not like one of these continuity stories that I think just is an epic all timer, but it, it is one of those stories where it works perfectly if I'm feeling, you know, this type of story. Um, and I do love it as, cause I wanted to read it as a continuation of the killing joke this time, but I just didn't get time, but I may do that later this year or something like that. But I love that we have a story that kind of fits as a, as a sequel to the killing joke and death of the fam death in the family. So that's probably how I'll read it going forward. But yeah, I, I can't, you know, I can't heap enough praise on this all-star team, you know, say what you want about Jeff Johns, but he's a hell of a DC writer. Um, Jason Fabic is amazing with that art. And then yes, Brad, Brad Anderson and the rest of this team, they just put together a killer book and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, but Joe, we'll wrap it up there on talking about three jokers. Uh, we're not quite ready to bounce out yet though. Cause we do have, as I said earlier, we do have a few listener thoughts to get to. And I wanted to get this one to this one first. We do have an email from Brian Wolf and it's been sitting there for a little while now and I feel bad. So I'm, I'm sorry, Brian. Um, but I did want to read this. This goes back to the man of steel episode. And Brian said, so I just listened to the man of steel episode and I have to say, you guys just blew my mind. Their suits are CGI. And then later <laughs> you mentioned green lantern had come out the year before. Are you serious? Now, I don't hate that film. In fact, I really like it, but I'm not blind to how bad those CGI suits were. Just shows how much love and effort Zach and his team put into making this movie. Thanks for what you guys do. It's nice to have another show to listen to alongside Holy Batcast. Brian. Well, Brian, thank you so much for that email. And yes, it I, when I... I I can't believe you've gone this long without discovering that those suits, those uh, Kryptonian armor suits are CGI, but I had the exact same reaction when I found out because they are beautiful to look at. They're amazing. And it's hard to believe that those are a digital creation. Um, and yeah, good point about uh, Green Lantern being so close and the difference between the quality of those CGI suits. But Joe, I know you're, um, this is a sticking point for you. So <laughs> I heard you laughing when I was reading that email because <laughs> it's hard to believe Brian's gone this long without figuring out those suits are CG, right? Well, I will say Green Lantern was 2011, wasn't it? Yeah. So Man of Steel was two years so later. Two years. Let's get a little. Uh, yeah. It's still no. I understand his point. <laughs> his point is still yeah. valid. <laughs> um, 2011, they're still, still enough there where they should have been a little better. And I, I'm with you, Brian. I don't hate that film either. Um, but as far as the Man of Steel suits, yeah, I, I still remember being blown away watching the documentaries on the disc when we first got it. And I will say Feyora's is practical, if I remember correctly. Um, it's mm -hmm. Zod's and the rest of the Kryptonians, but I think the women are are practical, and um, the men are are the CGI ones. But so Jor Jor-el's armor and Zod's armor, those are CGI. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's <laughs> I still can't find 
how I would ever, ever have known that if I didn't see it in the documentaries, because watching that film, I dare anyone to pin uh, pick out that that is CGI without knowing. Cause I, I, their suits are great. I'll say this. I think it's a little easier to tell in the flash on Zod. Yeah. I, I think cause it was done differently and it was during the yeah. daytime mostly, which always makes it harder, even though there are mm-hmm. daytime scenes in man of steel. So that excuse doesn't always work. Right. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's neither here nor there. That that's yeah. just another feather in the cap to how good that team did on those mm-hmm. suits. Um, but thank you so much, Brian, for that email. It's good to hear from you. And then um, moving on, I know, Joe, you had some some thoughts from, is it Lee Anchorit that we have some thoughts from? Good old Lee. Yeah, he sent me a couple messages after um, after he got out of the flash and um, a couple follow-ups. So I'll, I'll read um, I'll read the follow-up. He, so it was funny. After the flash, he, he texted or he messaged me and he was um, <laughs> he was a little harsh on some things. Um, he loved the film though. He, he's not criticizing the film. He, he, he enjoyed it a lot, but he, he wrote back to me a couple of days later after, uh, digesting a little bit. He goes, Hey man, um, let's see. Um, so I've had some time to reflect on the bat flex scenes. Cause that was his main criticism was the CGI in the bat flex scenes. And mm-hmm. he says, you're right. I was being harsh. I don't hate them. The action scenes are immense. And that is true. Bat flex. Couldn't ask for more there. But as soon as Wonder Woman shows up, I still think that part of the scene is JL-17 standard, and I don't like it. And I still think his suit looks bad and Cal fits badly with his new skinny face. The Barry Bruce scene later, though, is superb. And um, then he just says, you know, uh, thank you and uh, talk to you later. Um, So to Lee's point, we've discussed this. Um, We didn't really... We didn't get into the the lasso of truth thing. I know you were not crazy about it, correct? Yeah, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't my favorite. Yeah i I can understand why it can definitely be reminiscent of uh, Justice League. Um, to me, my way of kind of dismissing it, and I told this to Lee. I honestly think a lot of people that were making that scene may have not have seen Justice League 2017. Um, like, I don't know if Andy Muschietti knows that scene exists. It's very possible. Like you, when you talk to these directors, and again, I know people are going to say, ah, oh, you're crazy if you never watched it. But when you talk to these directors post-Justice League, most of them consider Zack's version to be the canon version. Mm-hmm. Yes, obviously Ben was there I mean, obviously, Gal was there for the lasso scene. Do we really know Ben was there for that scene? Because they filmed a lot of stuff apart, and Ben has nothing to do with that scene. Yeah, I, I'm not sure on that. Um, but yeah, other than the lasso, because I mean, the lasso is one thing, um, but I do have a little bit of insight on what Lee's talking about with the suit. Mm-hmm. Um, because you and I have talked about, cause I really, I really like following Chris Stanley or he's known as cosplay Chris on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And he is huge into the, into the, you know, the, the fabricating, fabricating of these suits. And he's gotten into Hollywood. He started working with some Hollywood productions and on a recent video he posted, he basically confirmed 
um, and take it for what you will. But he confirmed that the suit that was used was never meant to be worn by Affleck in the flash. Okay. It was built for the stunt double. And they decided at some point to do the bridge scene where he's actually in the suit talking. And he was basically shimmied into this stuntman suit. So, so he did say he did wear it or was it a CGI suit? No, he did wear it, but okay. it was not meant for him. So you think they might have doctored it up with CGI? I they may have. Um, I very could very well could have because they absolutely did with the Flash's suit because they smoothed it out. Um, because you know there's pictures behind the scenes pictures where you can see creases and folds in the suit when he bends mm-hmm. his arms, and in the the practical suit is actually separated at the neck, so he can turn his head. But they smoothed that out digitally in the movie. Hmm. So they make it look like it's all one piece, but yeah. the, the actual suit he was wearing is, is not that way for practical. And the flash suit, the flash suit lends better to CGI that way where yeah, it does. Um, cause I, I have, I had no complaints about the flash suit in the film at all. Um, I, I thought it looked great. I know there was a lot of complaints going into the film with maybe the cowl didn't look right in motion. I never had an issue with any of it. No, no, me either. Um, and that's when, when Ben is on the, or when whoever is on the bat cycle, the bat suit looks decent. Um, mm-hmm. it's when it's when he's on the bridge that it just doesn't, it doesn't look yeah. good at all. Um, but that's, it's neither here nor there. It really doesn't take away from, in my opinion, it doesn't take away from the performance, especially that scene with Barry and Bruce in the alley when they're talking. So, mm-hmm. Um, I think that was more of the focused, you know, performance from Ben Affleck. So I can, I can give that a pass the way the suit looks. I have um, um, one more thing to discuss from Lee. Um, He asked, um, and you could definitely attest to this. um, He said, it came up again. uh, He asked, actually, I think we were discussing it and I think Matt brought it up. And then talking about how Bruce had a happy ending at the end of, you know, his run. And that's why he's retired. And he, uh, Lee said again, it, you know, Holy Batcast mentioned it also, but he mm-hmm. said, if you guys do a follow-up, cause he said, um, he actually had asked me why I didn't bring up something I brought up to him on the podcast. And it was about the Musietti podcast that I brought to his attention. Um, Musietti did an interview where he discussed deleted scenes mm-hmm. with uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. He discussed it on the Real Ben podcast, which me and you both listen to. And Lee wanted to know why we didn't bring that up when we were discussing the episode. And um, so do you well, want to talk about that? Yeah, I'll answer that really quickly. It is super hard to remember everything. And it, unless you have like line by line notes when, when you're doing a podcast, especially with three people, it's yeah. hard to remember every single thing because um, there's a ton of stuff I know that I've still forgotten. But either way, on this particular topic, Joe, you're going to have to jog my memory because I remember um, Muschietti talking to the Real Blend guys about the deleted scenes. And I remember him talking about Bruce and the quote unquote safe city now, but I can't remember all of the context. So So, I don't, I don't remember a lot of it either. Other than when they asked him about the safe city, Musietti's like, come on, it's Batman. Like you really think Gotham is safe? Like it was something to that extent. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And maybe there were more layers to that in deleted scenes. But again, when you're watching the movie, they don't, I mean, do they give you any hint whatsoever that he's lying there? Maybe like you could again, kind of see it. It's, it's hard and you can only go by what you're getting in the film. I never questioned it before we got that interview. But now yeah. that I know about it, yes, it's it's a little different. And I, I agree with you as far as the podcast goes, why we didn't bring it up. I told him, I said, when there's three of us, we're trying not to just talk over the th- <laughs> each other. So I probably just didn't want to butt in and, and say anything. And then at the next time, it was probably your turn to speak or whatever. So I, I probably just moved on. <laughs> yeah. And I'll say that I... Um did listen to the real blend podcast because it, it's all coming back to me now. So I listened to the real blend podcast on this before my second screening of the flash, because I'd already seen it and art and I had already kind of found out that the movie was basically the movie. Like there was mm-hmm. nothing in the real blend podcast that was going to spoil me on anything that I had not already seen. So I listened to it before my second viewing and on the second viewing, it does seem like Keaton is like it seems like there's more there than like tongue yes, in cheek almost like almost like it's a cop out answer. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see when we get the flash on, on whole media to see what these deleted scenes include. I wish we could get an extended cut, but I don't feel like that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to spend any more money on this thing at this point. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised we haven't gotten, um, any info on what is going to be on the the digital release yet? Because usually we do by now, don't we? Like we usually find out there will be deleted scenes or there will be this, or sometimes we even get like the back cover of the Blu-ray by now or, or like teased or, or whatever. So I'm curious what we're going to get. And I hope we get a ton of stuff. I, if Musietti's talking about it in interviews, he's gotta be hoping that we're getting it because I, most directors wouldn't even bring that up if they didn't think we were going to get it. Yeah. And Man, I really hope this thing does well on digital and home media because it, it deserves it. It deserves much better than it got, honestly, yeah. in the theaters. Yep, I agree. But I, I don't want to focus on that and be negative. But um, I will say thank you so much, Lee, for your thoughts. We always love interacting with you, um, whether it be you know direct message or email or tweets or however. You've always been supportive and we appreciate it. Um, but Joe, I feel like that's probably, unless you had anything else, I think that's a good place to wrap it up for the day. Nope. That's it. Thank you to, to both of the, uh, the listeners that sent in questions or, or comments. It's always fun to, to get those, especially here just to kind of go back to, in, in this case, we went back to man of steel for a little bit and then got to do a little bit more on the flash before we get into, uh, get into this summer where we have, uh, some, <laughs> some, some more stuff to cover. We got to cover the, a comic here, which is fun. And we got some, some bigger stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Good tease. Yes. Um, so as you guys know, we do love anniversaries. So upcoming next, our very next episode of the show will be a huge anniversary for a seminal, highly regarded Batman movie. I'm just going to leave it there. If you look at your calendar, you'll kind of figure out which one it is, but I'm just going to leave it hanging there. Um, but thank you so much, Joe. I always appreciate coming on and talking to you. And this was fun to talk about a comic. We haven't done that in a while. Uh, so thank you for coming on to do that with me. Uh, and why don't you let everybody know where they can find you out there on social media? 
You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as jforn11. And you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornarato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. Awesome. And as for myself, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. That is M-E Carter 89, me Carter 89. Uh, the show can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFR Batpod. Again, if you have thoughts for the show, you can email us. That email is tfrbatpod at gmail.com. If you're looking for a way to support the show, the best and easiest way to do that is to leave us a rating and review on whatever your podcasting platform is. If you leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show. If you're looking for another way to support us and we don't ask that you spend a dime on this show, but we absolutely appreciate it. If you'd like to, you can go to redbubble.com and search shop TFR, all one word, and you can find our logos created by Justin Kowalski on all kinds of merch. And then our theme song was created by the very talented Gaurav Vintakeswar and his music can be found on gvtunes.com. So for myself and Joe, thank you guys so much for joining us. Go out and read Three Jokers if you haven't yet and enjoy The Flash as well. And until next time, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Comics, or DC Studios. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.